Haven't you read that at the beginning, uh, the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, that what God has joined together, let no one separate. Thank you, Parker. Y'all can have a seat. Again, glad that you're here this morning. If you paid attention to our sign outside, if you're a child of the 90s and you get our stupid jokes, you probably knew what you were getting into this morning when you showed up. Many of you are visitors. You're here from all kinds of different places, and you may not have known. And so I do give you this apology if you didn't know. But this morning, not because we had baby Bible blessing, but uh, we are continuing our conversation about the intersection of faith and culture, and we're going to talk about sex today. And so Dan already assured me that he turned down the air conditioner because he thought I might be sweating up here. And I know that some of y'all might be squirming in your seats a little bit. So to kind of relax us a little bit, go ahead and squirm in your seats, and you might want to turn to your neighbor and say hello, and then also tell them, you look nervous. No, I don't. (laughs) But we're glad you're here today. And we're going to continue to talk about what it looks like to meet our culture at the intersection of faith and the world and to proclaim a totally different alternative way of living. I don't know if you feel tired this morning, stressed out, worn out, exhausted. It could be a number of reasons. It might be the choices you made this week. It might be the time you went to bed. It could be the time you got up. It could be the choices that were laid on you by others this morning, but there might be a whole other reason. It might be that you're just worn out because of where we are in history. Historians all agree that no other time ever in history has been so quickly changing. Since the 1960s, think about it this way, since the 1960s, we have seen an unbelievable pace of change. We've gone through the space race, We've gone through the Cold War. We've gone through the space age, the internet age, the digital age, the information age. We have discovered things that we never thought we would discover. We have endured wars. We've seen the civil rights movement. We've seen moon landings. We have robots now living on Mars. It's incredible some of the things that have changed. Cell phones and the internet, the iPhone in 2007. And since then, we have seen the advent of social media and all that it has brought. Globalization, economic booms and busts, and on and on we could go. It's exhausting, isn't it? Wears me out just to even go down that list. You feel it. You maybe even not even know what it is, but you and I feel it. But these changes have not just affected what we've experienced or our careers or even the technology we use in our schedules, these changes have also changed how we do and view and think about sex and sexuality. Researcher Donna Friedis, she's interviewed hundreds of young people and college students, and she's concluded this. She says that the sexual culture we live live in and the speed of change has, and I quote, it has created a drastic divide between physical intimacy and emotional intimacy. 
What Fridus is saying there is that we are now living in a world where when people of faith meet the world at the intersection, what we discover and what even we discover in ourselves is a great disconnect, a divide between who we are as people and what we believe, who we say we are as people and what we do with our bodies. There is a huge disconnect. Way back in 2006, Rolling Stone, of all places, saw this coming when they reported on the early hookup culture of college campuses across our country. They interviewed a college student whose name was Naomi. And she said this in reference to the world that she was living in. She made this very astute uh, observation. She said, people in my world assume that there are two very distinct elements to a relationship, one emotional and one sexual, and they pretend as if there are clean lines between them. I hope you heard that. Naomi was saying something very profound. She was on to something, a truth that a cultural shift has taken place from wholeness into almost a celebration of dualism and brokenness. That's what we're going to call a disconnect today. There's a divide. And you probably realize that despite the uncomfortable nature of talking about this topic, I hope you realize this morning that the church has got to learn to be clear about what a Christian sexual ethic looks like. We have to be clear. Because we have a better way. Not as high and mighty holy rollers, but as servants to say you were made for more because there is a disconnect. See, sexuality in our culture has been disconnected from three major things. These aren't on the screen. We'll just say it. There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect in our very lives. Sexuality is now disconnected from marriage and family. It's not even really considered part of a growth process or a milestone I didn't know this until this week. I was, this happened before I was born, but it was illegal in the U.S. to sell a single person birth control until 1972. It was illegal. I had no idea. And that was because we used to live in a world where we believed that sex was connected to marriage and family. Second thing we've disconnected sex from is from love and emotion and commitment. A researcher once said that this disconnect has taught us such things as that there is sexual non-intimacy now. Sexual non-intimacy. And the third thing it's separated us from is just basic morals and ethics. Sex as it is currently taught is believed to have no strings attached. And it is hurting generations of young people. But we're going to deal with the truth this morning because the truth is this. In Christ... This is what the Bible teaches, that in our very nature, you and I, our kids, our teens, all of us, Christians and non-Christians, all people, were never meant to be separated from their deepest longings. They're not to be, we're not created to be split spiritually and then relationally, or split sexually and then emotionally. We are to be whole people, body, mind, soul, heart, and sex organs. 
It's what it means that our body and our mind and our soul are one. So today, what we're going to do is go to the intersection. I want to pray over this, but we're going to discuss some difficult things. I'm not going to make it awkward. I promise that. Today is about three things, though. And the reason we're talking about this is three simple reasons. Number one is Scripture speaks about sex, so we're going to as well. Number two, this is about starting a conversation. I hope that today continues our conversations in life groups and families and beyond these walls. It's, it's not about solving everything today. It's about just starting a conversation. And number three, and this one's personal, the reason I take this on as a topic is because James 3 says that I will be judged as a teacher more harshly. And so I do have to answer to the church body, but ultimately I have to answer to God. And God talks a lot about sex. So I'm going to talk about it too. And so that is a personal conviction. And I believe this, that God's intent and plan for our bodies, including his plan for sex and sexuality, is better than the world and what it's selling us. Amen? It is better, much better. So let's pray. I want to pray that God's light will burst forth in our cities and our communities. And I want to pray for this message this morning. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, may you be among us today teaching us, shaping us, holding us close. As we discuss a a difficult topic, Father, that's not usually proclaimed from pulpits, I pray that people will receive this with grace, that you'll cover over my mistakes that I make, that people will receive this and the Spirit will transform and move. God, I do lift up. I was just, as we were singing this morning, I was overwhelmed by the idea that, that we pray a lot for Canadian and for your word to break forth into this town and many people to come to know you. But God, we're, this, this building's full of people from Perryton and, and Wheeler and Miami and other communities, God. And we pray for that too. We pray for those cities just to come awake to you, God. For the light to shine. For people living in the panhandle who might be living in darkness. For the light of Jesus to shine on them so that they can find new life. May you act and do things and may you prepare us as a church to go out into the harvest field. And be ready to find people and see people and introduce them to you. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. It's a guy named Lecrae Moore, who you may know better, and your kids definitely know as Lecrae. He's a Christian author and artist and rapper. He writes in his book, Unashamed, about the very first time as a young man he heard a Christian speaker actually talk about sexuality. And he writes in this book, Unashamed, that he was completely astonished. He was astonished. He said this. He said, the speaker began to tell us that our bodies were valuable. I had never heard that in my life. I had never connected that my spirituality had to do something with my sexuality. I had never heard somebody tell me how valuable my body was to God. I think that's interesting because you too might be surprised by what is actually taught in the Bible about sex. When we often think about the Christian view of sex, we think of Puritans, right? We think of squares and prudes, and we hold this negative view of the body. You might have even been taught that sex is a dirty word. It's a big no, get away from it, run. But the truth is, is that Christianity has a much 
more respectful and high view of our bodies and of sex than where, what we usually want to admit. The Bible is not anti-sex. It is pro-marriage and pro-Christian wholeness and body. It is pro. It's pro what God has created, including sexuality. So what we have to do is realize, let's get our story straight. So we're going to deal with this text, with this text that we're going to get to here in a little bit, and this topic, with talking about getting our story straight. Because all of us live by mental maps and the stories we live by. So mental maps, we'll, we'll set this up for a little bit, is images that you have in your mind of what you want your life to be like. It's the story you live by. It's the background narrative you have running in your brain that helps you default, make decisions, and create habits or continue habits. And often a mental map is running without you even knowing it. You don't even have to access that part of your brain to make conscious decisions. For example, you have mental maps of where things are in your house. At least the ladies in here do. Men are like, I don't know, right? We don't have mental maps for that. Ladies do. Men take pride in having mental maps on how to get to a certain destination, right? We will not stop for directions. I've got a mental map for this, right? Don't turn your phone on. I've got this, right? You even have mental maps of where to get to and where to go find your favorite jar of salsa at the grocery store. That is a mental map. It's all working in your brain. But you also, outside of those trivial mental maps, you have stories that you live by, much more important, that guide the ideas and the decisions in your life, including how you think about sexuality. And these stories carry weight. Because the story you live by when faced with temptation will either lead you away from it or into it. The story you live by, if it is good and true, and for us as Christians, they can either end up taking us to Jesus and they can lead us to a life that is life abundant, John 10, 10, or it can lead us in the opposite direction and it can be a mental map that leads us to despair hurt, and brokenness. Now, I want you to understand how serious this is because you might be saying, or, or somebody listening to this might say, oh, come on, Jake, it's, it's really, you can't be that serious. It's not that cut and dry is what we have a mental map about sexuality in our mind really that big of a deal. And, and I, I would respond with this. Name one person, adult. Name one teenager in your life who hasn't been hurt by a misguided view of sex. I can't do it. Name one. See, we have a mental map. We have a story going. We have a cultural story that's telling us something about sex. So name one person. Name a person who hasn't been through a messy breakup that involved intercourse or a divorce or someone who struggles with an addiction that has to do with sexuality. Name yourself. Name me. And what we then need to do because of a question like this or an idea like this is we need to offer the world a better story, a better mental map, one that is wholesome and ethical and good and meaningful, a story that when we meet the world at the intersection doesn't point a finger but yet says, Here's hope. There's a better way. 
So let's get into the New Testament. Paul's gonna actually give us these two stories. There's nothing new under the sun. Paul wrote about this 2,000 years ago to the Corinthians. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you're following along. Paul's gonna give us two stories to live by, and he's gonna give us a choice. Which one do you want? Do you want one of the world one of the, cry, uh, of the cross and of Christ. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 13a. He's quoting them. He's quoting the Corinthians and he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. And he quotes them again. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. Now, misguided views we're going to pause there for just a second, are nothing new. Because what Paul is realizing and what he's showing us is this misidentification and this bad story about human sexuality and what we do with our bodies has been around forever. The sexual revolution of the 60s, and it has been ongoing into the 20s now, the 2020s, wasn't new thinking. It just became much more mainstream. And so what Paul does here to reveal this type of thinking in this story is he quotes a famous Corinthian and Roman saying, food for the stomach, stomach for the food. It was a saying that represented, what's the big deal? My body, just like food, is just for whatever use I want it for. So if I want to have, if I want to eat whatever I want, no big deal. If I want to have sex with whatever I want, no big deal. So what Paul is actually representing here is what we're going to call story number one. And this is a story, and I know I'm being pretty generalized here, but this is a sexual story, a mind map that is represented by our world today. And number one, it is this. It's the idea that we are just meaningless animals. That's a pretty broad brush. I get that. But hear me out for just a moment. <coughs> This first story is very common today. It's a reason on your phones of single people, there's apps like Tinder. It's why our world uses primarily as a sales technique sex in almost every industry. Hold on, I gotta get a drink of water. Oh, I'm getting parched talking about sex so much. <laughs> Actually, I have a cold. All right, sorry about that it's this idea in a mental map that says <coughs> that we as humans are just advanced primates. It's the idea that tells us that there's no more meaning to life other than what we make of it, that where we're headed is to nowhere. It tells us that sex is just biology. It's play for grownups. Love is nothing more than a happy feeling that two people get when they're together. Marriage is nothing more than a social construct and pregnancy is only for the propagation of the species. It's the same idea of why couples, thank you Gwyneth Paltrow, are now calling divorce, instead of divorce, they're now renaming it mutual uncoupling. Yeah. It's a story that goes something like this. And you can look this up and look at modern philosophy. It's the idea that's coming that says we are only meat sacks. We are just brains on a stick. Our bodies don't matter. Stomach for the food, food for the stomach. And as freeing as that philosophy might sound, at first glance, you can do what you want. There's no repercussions. This story is incredibly damaging. 
It's the same exact philosophy that Paul was dealing with, but it is extremely damaging, and that is why Paul brings it up. Miriam Grossma, who works at UCLA, she's a counselor on campus with college students, and she wrote a book by the title Unprotected. And what she does in the book is she describes these interactions that she's had with 18 to 22-year-olds over a number of years. And she describes one young lady named Olivia that came to see her and had therapy sessions with her as Olivia was battling depression. And she was battling depression because she had had her first sexual encounter with a boy who immediately dumped her soon after. And Olivia gave permission to Miriam Grossman to give this quote in the book. And here's what Olivia said. She said, why? Why does the world tell us to protect our body from pregnancies and STIs, but the world has never told me to protect my heart? See, this story is damaging. There's pain behind it. This story fails because it separates what God has made whole. It separates our bodies from our minds and our hearts and our emotions. And I don't give this next example of this to shock anybody. I just want us to think about the world we live in. The most extreme depersonalization of sexuality is found in the multi, multi billion dollar industry of pornography. See, pornography is the practice of disconnecting ourselves from others, the body from the viewer. I don't know how much is spent on it in the U.S. today, but it's enough probably to solve thirst and water around the world every year. It's accessible. It's everywhere. Anyone can get it. You may say, well, not my kids. If they have a phone, they can get it. This has dropped recently. When I used to teach, it wasn't this young. But for instance, just to let you know how disconnected this has become, the average age now that a young boy encounters pornography is nine years old. Now, I want you to think about that. If a nine-year-old encounters pornography and continues to encounter it, by the time they're 19 and still a little bit young to have a serious relationship, but they are considered an adult at 19, think about this. That 19-year-old, before they are ever able to have a serious relationship with the opposite sex, they have been consuming porn for a decade. You think about the damage that is going to do to our society. Think about the future damage to families and relationships that that's going, that is setting up. But enough of that. Let's get on to a better story, right? There's no hope in this story, and I think you all know that. But I am so upfront about it this morning because we need to be aware of it. Not because we are loading our hands with stones, but because we are going to present a better message. And Paul gives us a better message. He continues. He says, you guys are saying food for the stomach, stomach for the food. Here's what he says, though. 
Let me give you another option. Oh, this is so good, Paul. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That's pretty cool. I'm not just made for the Lord. The Lord was made for me. You ever read that there? By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, and then he quotes Genesis 2, the two shall become one flesh. For whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Man, that guy can write. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever just read that and gone, wow, there's a lot there. But the second story to live by is not this food for the stomach, stomach for the food. You're a meaningless animal. It doesn't matter. The second story is this, is what separates you from the animals is not just your IQ. It is you have been imbued and filled with the spirit of God, the image of God. We are not just made to act as lifeless drones going about our desires, but By the Spirit of God, we have the ability to dream and have will and volition and emotion. We are a creation, not a coincidence, Paul is saying. And so if we are a creation, then we are made to look like our creator. And if we are made to look like the creator, we learn that the creator created sex for a purpose. And it is good. And the second story then can be summed up as Christians have a sexual ethic and it is called oneness, unity, union. What I love, what others call the mingling of souls, marriage, the mingling of souls. Now this is a biblical idea, but what I love is it's not just a biblical idea. This oneness that is created through when a male and a female become one through sexual union is not just backed by the Bible, it's backed by science. Pick up any recent study on sexuality and most likely you will read of the role of hormones, why the act of intercourse is so engaging to our brains is because of two hormones in particular, oxytocin and vasopressin. Scientists first learned about oxytocin when studying Moms, while they were breastfeeding. Oxytocin is released during breastfeeding when mom nurses her baby. It stimulates an instinct for care and nurturing and connection. It's commonly known not as oxytocin. It is called the attachment hormone. But also, notice, scientists also teach us that oxytocin is released when men and women have intercourse because it is the hormone of trust. As one person put it, I love this, when humans have intercourse, they are creating involuntary chemical commitments to one another. Now, vasopressin, 
Most of those are released in men and women, mostly in women, but vasopressin is a similar hormone, mostly released in men. And it is called, plainly, the monogamy molecule. Now that gives new meaning to what we just read from Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. I always thought when he said, I thought he was just being mean, that all other, per, all other sins a person commits are outside his body. When a person commits sexually, they sin against their own body. I was like, man, Paul, you're just being hard. I think Paul was onto something. I think he was revealing a deep truth. He wasn't being puritanical or prudish. I don't know if he knew it or not. Maybe he had help. Yes, he did, Holy Spirit. Inspiration of God. Paul was onto a truth. The two really are becoming one. Chemically, physically, emotionally. New Testament scholar Lauren Winter, in one of her books, translates verse 16 of chapter 6 this way. I love this. She says, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise, whether you do or not. (laughs) That's really good, isn't it? That's a different story. What Paul is revealing here is that sex and sexuality were created to experience oneness. In Hebrew, that word is a kod. It's the same word that God uses to describe himself in the Old Testament. It's the Shema, hero Israel, the Lord, your God, is a kod. One. Oneness in marriage, in the sexual union, is the same description biblically as oneness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When two unmarried people who have had intercourse break up, science also shows that brain scans show that the same part of the brain lights up when that person breaks up as it would if they had broken their arm or their femur, which gives new meaning to the word breakup. But I'll say it again, and this is what we're getting to. Paul is not being an old granny in 1 Corinthians 6. He's actually teaching something beautiful. He's saying, I want to give you a mental map. I want to give you a direction for your life, Corinthians. I want to give you a better way. You once lived this way, now in Christ. I want you to know that what you can experience only with your husband and only with your wife, only with your spouse, it is a soul tie. It's the mingling of souls that God created for a specific relationship that is backed up by lifelong commitment. And so this morning, I hope you see why we need to talk about this. And I want to just finish with just which story will you believe? Which one will you live by? You want to be an animal or you want to be an icon of God? Do you want to live in a world of brokenness or do you want to present to the world a story of unity, of oneness, of hope? See, I hope today is just the start or restart for you and your family to continue this conversation. Hopefully you've been reminded of something today. Hopefully it hasn't just been totally awkward. But I want to give you three things as we finish, just three ways to carry this message out into the world, three action points, and then we'll be done. I'll do them very fast. Number one, we got to talk about this, guys. Talk. More talk and keep talking. There is no such thing as the sex talk, period. (laughs) Families, if you're a parent, it is the sex talking, (laughs) okay? It is a participle, meaning it is ongoing. 
You don't, well, I talked to my kid when he was 11. Nope. I talked to my kid when they were seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. Well, they're too young when they're nine. Nope, I just proved they were not. I talked to them when they were 25, when they were 30. Because in my house, as a follower of Jesus, I'm helping them see Jesus in every part of their life. So you talk about it, talk more, and keep, no, keep talking. And then secondly, you gotta normalize it. It goes along with number one, normalize it. Here's what I mean by that. Let's normalize God's story for sexuality. The world's story for sexuality is already normalized in your house. You have a TV, don't you? Do you watch it? That first story's already been normalized in your home. <laughs> you with me? All right. So let's normalize the other story, the story of God. And then finally, number three, most importantly, is we are going to be people who give grace upon grace. I am not preaching this, speaking this, teaching this this morning, saying, wow, you guys don't have it figured out. I am preaching this this morning, coming to you as a sinner who has struggled with this since the time I was 12 years old. I still remember the first time I saw pornography. I've struggled with it. But I believe in passages like Romans 5.20. Oh, Paul in Romans 5 is saying this great, he's comparing and contrasting as Adam brought sin into the world, it would destroy the world. But can you imagine what happened when God gave the gift of Christ to the world? And he starts, he says that the gift outweighs the trespass. And the idea there is if you have a scale, the trespass weighed a lot. But when Jesus came, that gift slammed down on the scales of justice and all the trespass flew off in a hurry because the gift was so weighty. And then in chapter five, verse 20, he says this. And this is what I want you to hear. If you hear nothing else this morning, if you feel ashamed or if you're hurtful because we even talked about this, you need to know the gospel. And the gospel says, part of the gospel in Romans 5.20 says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Woo, thank you, David. You're the only one paying attention because that is an amazing verse. Everybody else is like, if I say something, they're gonna think I said six. Six. No, you said amen, right? <laughs> right? That's not in my notes. Uh, what he just said was this, right? As sin increased, grace comes in over the top. And Paul's not writing to people that haven't messed up. And he's not teaching this to us today. We're not hearing scripture today of people that have it all figured out. What we're hearing scripture this morning is for people who are in need of that grace. And if you're in need of that grace, Jesus is here for you. Not as judge, but as gift. Whose grace increases more and more for you. You can't out him, Right? He's died for you. And that's the story we've got to tell the world. Young people, I want you to hear me. Get a mental map. And that mental map isn't where your favorite talkies are at Alexander's. That mental map is, I'm going to trust the Lord 
to take me towards oneness. Any 14-year-old kid can have sex. But young people, you need to learn how to love like God loves. And the primary way you love like God loves is you learn it in marriage. And that's why Jesus and God reserves sex for marriage. Because it is agape. So you got to have that map. Get it in your head. So that when you are tempted, and older people that are married, websites come up, get a mental map. And that mental map takes you not to that next click, but it takes you to, and this is for everybody, it takes you to, I was bought at a price. So therefore, I'm going to honor God, and I'm going to click out, honor God with my body. Amen? Whatever you need today, we're here for you. Sorry about the awkwardness. God is good, and we love y'all. Let's stand together and let's sing.